Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 61. That's where we are today. Actually, we are in part two of our message, How to Avoid Overload in the New Year. Psalm 61 is where we'll begin today. Here's the key concept. We all need to find shelter and be protected. We're talking about how we go through life and as we face this new year, how can we avoid some of the problems and pitfalls that come in our busy culture? And God's Word has some good advice along those lines. And it has to do, today our focus is having to do with shelter and refuge. Those two words, both of them are found in the beginning of Psalm 61. So you you read with me, follow along as I read, it says this. This is David speaking. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for I have, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings." Refuge and shelter, something we all need to avoid overload. Today, I'm going to point out three sources of overload, things that in and of themselves are not bad things, but they can lead us to a life that is out of balance and overloaded with stress. These things are change, choice, and work. Change, choice, and work. None of them are bad, but they all need to be in balance. How do we find shelter from change overload? Change, even good change, can bring stress. Psychologists use something called the Holmes-Ray scale to assign points to various life changes in terms of how they affect us psychologically and even physically. They're called LCUs, life change units, and Dr. Holmes and Dr. Ray developed this pretty complicated matrix in terms of evaluating what we're going through and how it affects us. They have determined that a person who experiences 300 of these LCUs in a short period of time is at risk, not only for just being stressed, but is at risk for physical illness because of the stress. Now, they, like I said, it's a very complicated matrix they put together, but here's a few of, their, of the points. For instance, remember 300 points, you're stressed to the point of getting ill. Change due to marriage brings 50 points. Change due to pregnancy, 40. Change due to birth in the family, 39. 
Change in financial situation, 38. Change in living conditions, 25. Working conditions, 20. Change in church activities, that made the list, 19. Change in social activities, 18. Sleep, 16. Now, that's just a few, just a snapshot. But I give you that particular snapshot because I want you to see what it means for a young couple that's doing everything right. A young couple doing everything right. If you get married, if you get pregnant, if you have a baby, if that having that baby changes your financial situation and maybe you move to a bigger place because your family is expanding and you begin to lose sleep as the baby doesn't sleep through the night, you are at 228 points with nothing else going on in your life. It's kind of hard to avoid being overloaded due to change. Change brings stress. Back in 1970, Alvin Toffler wrote a book called Future Shock. What he meant by future shock is this. I'm going to quote from the book. Is it is a roaring current of change, a current so powerful that it overturns institutions, it shifts values, and it shrinks our roots. Change is the process by which the future invades our lives. Unless mankind quickly learns to control the rate of change, we are doomed to a massive adaptational breakdown. I call that overload. He said that in 1970. Some of you remember 1970. <laughs> Not all of you, but some of you. The average cost of a new home in the United States was $23,450. The average income was $9,400. Gas was 36 cents a gallon. Postage stamp was six cents. 1970 was when the Beatles disbanded. We were wearing very different clothing in 1970. Let's get a, there it is. I think I had that shirt. All of the 70s should be erased from the fashion, uh, fashion pictures. 1970, the Vietnam War was raging. There were no cell phones. There was no internet. There was no fax machines. No digital technology. The favorite, the first place TV show in 1970 Marcus Welby, M.D. Things have changed since 1970, right? Do you think that we have managed the rate of change? If, if anything at all, it's accelerated. And once again, Toffler said, what comes with unmanaged change is shifting values, shriveled roots, massive adaptational breakdown. The stress with too much change. Our roots shrivel up. It feels like we're losing something vital. Our values that ought to be stable, especially if they're based on the Word of God, begin to be altered. Now, change in itself isn't bad. Without it, nothing would improve. But overchange can hurt us. So what should we do? Number one, slow the rate of change that you allow in your life because you are not helpless against this. You're not helplessly floating along in the current of our times. You don't need to be. You can decide to slow change, and maybe that's just what God wants you to do, to spend a little more time thinking and praying about the changes, the, even the good changes that you're maybe contemplating. Maybe it's time to put a moratorium on big changes for a few months, simply to allow our decisions to be well thought through, prayed about, talked about with our family and friends, so the pace begins to slow down. Secondly, to slow down the rate of change, do not overvalue newness. Every commercial on TV wants you to overvalue newness. 
It always seems like that is better, that is new, but sometimes what's new is not necessarily better. And we have to make a distinction. Our society does not make a distinction between needs and wants. And if you can't tell the difference, you're going to be overvaluing newness. Sometimes what what we think is going to be better is just novel. And the novelty wears off fairly quickly. Don't overvalue newness necessarily. Thirdly, develop safe havens. Listen to David. He says in verse 4, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings, safe havens, places of protection, people of protection. A safe haven is an activity or a person that is stable in your life through which God brings blessing and refreshment. It's an activity. It may be something that you enjoy, a walk in the park or maybe planting flowers in your backyard or, or whatever it is, but it's something that in which I, I'm re, re, uh, resuscitated a little bit in terms of my stress. People that listen to you, people that pray with you, people that talk things through with you, all of this is safe haven, and we need it to push back against overchange. We need to find refuge against overchange, and, and also we need to find refuge, secondly, against choice overload. Sometimes we function on choice overload. We have a thousand choices every day. I was reading recently, even the smallest grocery store, not the huge mega stores, but the smallest grocery store has 30,000 or so items from which you can choose, these, these, the grocery store. One author calls it overchoice. Here's how he explains it. The point at which the advantages of diversity are canceled by the complexity of the decision. I think you've been there. I know I've been there. Have you ever been immobilized in the grocery in, in a grocery store? Let's look at the cereal aisle. Let's just go ahead. Look. This is a cereal aisle. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine being from a third world country and somebody tells you to go buy some cereal? You'd be stunned. The choices are immense, and I'm just looking at Cheerios here. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Choices are good, but overchoice is bad. Consider this little fact about the Oreo cookie. It was invented in 1912. It went along fine for many years, until 1974, and then they invented the double stuff Oreo. And then in 1975, the limited edition football-shaped Oreo. And then in 2011, the triple-double Oreo. And then the thin-stack Oreo and the double-Neapolitan Oreo available in Canada in 2013. Then the golden mega-stuffed Oreo, which comes in chocolate, golden, mint, lemon, coconut, salted caramel, pistachio, and pina colada in 2015. Does the world need a pina colada Oreo? Really? Now, this is just the tip of the Oreo iceberg. There are all kinds of Oreos, and, and it is over choice to a great degree. Was there some sort of uprising against the regular Oreo that I'd missed? But Nabisco knows that we like choices, even if it's over choices. Have you been to the ice cream parlor recently? Baskin Robbins? All those choices that you have, all those flavors. And if you're standing behind a person, one of those people who are tasters, (laughs) you've been there? You know, I usually get vanilla, but, you know, I like to taste. Oh, I never had that one. Would you like a taste? Yes, I'll have a taste of that one. I'll taste it. After after like 15 minutes, oh, I'll just have vanilla. Well, thank you very much, lady. (laughs) You're killing me now, right? Over choice, and it does lead to stress. 
We're drowning in choices, but choices require decisions, and decisions require analysis, and that's really the issue, is when it's over-choice that brings stress, it's, it's over-analysis and over-decision. Over what should we do? Here's the word for 2020. This is the word. Simplify. We need to simplify our, li our life. I have a friend. He once told me something. I mean, I, I was just amazed. He said, I only buy gray socks. Really? He says, when I get up in the morning, it's dark, and I reach into my sock drawer. I don't want to have to figure out what color I have to wear for the pants and the shoes. I don't want, so I'll only buy gray socks. When I reach in the drawer, I know I'm going to pull out a gray sock. I'm thinking, this guy's a genius. <laughs> right? Isn't, isn't that, you know, always getting the wrong color, you know? Only gray. Simplify. He made it simple. simple. Maybe it's stressful in your life to, to decide what's for dinner. You know, always the question, what's for dinner? Tomorrow, what's for dinner? Do what my grandmother did. True. My grandmother had a schedule. Every day, the, week, the weeks were always the same. We had the same thing Monday, Tuesday. You know, it was a, a Monday meal, the Tuesday meal, the Wednesday meal. I don't remember it all, but I know that Friday was fish. And I know that Saturday was steak. And I know that Sunday was pasta. And it was, there was never a question, what's for dinner? We know what's for dinner. What's the day? You know? Simplify. And that leads me to my next part of overchoice, how to fight back against it, and that is develop routine. Develop a routine. If you're going to avoid overchoice, overload, routine is your friend. Now, here's what you're saying. You're saying, yeah, but I'm not a routine person. I like to keep it spontaneous. I like to keep it loose, play it loosey-goosey. I like to be able to decide, you know, the spur of the moment. No, you don't. <laughs> you like routine. You do. Are you sitting in or near the same spot you sit every week? Gotcha. Most of us find routine sec uh, secure. It, it brings a, a, an element of safety and security to us. And, and it's, it's a good thing, you know, not to the point of absurdity, but it's a good thing. A little routine about the way you use your time. A little routine about the flow of your week. It stops over choice. I know at this time I'm doing this certain thing. This is my routine. It kind of keeps me balanced. It's a good thing. Thirdly, some of you will be mad. Be willing to call good enough, good enough. Perfectionism is a problem in terms of overchoice. What happens is this. Uh, uh, our stress comes from overanalysis in, ter in terms of choice. And those of you who are perfectionists, you know, you're constantly analyzing. What's the perfect color for the kitchen wall? What's the, what's the best rated product in this category that I'm searching for? And we analyze and we tweak and we study and we research. We go on the web for options. We interview our friends. And, and after a while, it's just on and on and on. Finally, some, sometimes you just have to say, you know what? This is good enough. And good enough is good enough. I'm going to move on. It helps to stop overload from overchoice. Lastly, overload from work. We know how to guard against it in our lives. It's out of balance. Psalm 23 goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. You know what word I kind of skip over time and time again as I read that, those few verses that I'm very familiar with and so are you? It's the word makes. 
He doesn't say, he suggests that I lie down in green pastures. Or he sends me a memo reminding me to lie down in green pastures. No, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord wants us to find restoration. Back in the 1960s, let's go a little bit further back, there were people that we called futurists. And they were making predictions about the future. And they were making predictions based on the gadgets that we had, that they saw coming out on the drawing boards, what we used to call labor-saving devices. Remember that, labor-saving devices. And they made a prediction about what the future would be like. They were talking in the 60s about the 90s. So this is our past. And this is what they predicted. They predicted that because of the labor-saving devices, we would only have to work 20 hours a week. They, they predicted that our productivity will go up, our wages would go up, our lifespan would increase, and our lives would be leisurely and blissful. And I'm quoting, leisurely and blissful. Wow, were they wrong, right? In that same time period, I'm told that the average American worker has added the equivalent of a month labor to their job because we're out of balance. There's probably a mix of reasons for that, but one of them is our consumer lifestyle, which drives us to get and to go and to work. Here's a poem I read in a newspaper. It's a Yiddish poem. It goes like this. I have a son, a little son, a boy, completely fine. When I see him, it seems to me that all the world is mine. But seldom do I see my child awake and bright. I only see him when he sleeps. I'm only home at night. I stand beside his little bed and I look and try to hear. And in his dreams, he moves his lips and says, why isn't Papa here? Of course, written from a man's perspective there, but in contrast, God says, green pastures, quiet waters, there's a priority for rest. We are made to work. We are made to be productive. But when it's out of balance, all that goes out the window. So we need to avoid the extremes, the extreme of idleness, and we need to avoid the extreme of overload from overwork. God wants us to live in what I'll call the sanctified middle, a meeting place of balance between work and the rest of your life. How do we find the sanctified middle? A few hints. Number one, beware of defining yourself in terms of your work. Finish the sentence, I am a... If it's work, push back from that. And I I mention that one because I find that hard, because I identify with my work. I believe that my work is not just a job, it's a calling, and it's difficult for me to not fill that sentence in with pastor and teacher. But it's important that we see there's other aspects. Our job is not the essence of who we are. It's significant, but it's not the center of your life. Who are you? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, who you are in Christ, that is your primary identity. You're a person loved by God, now in the kingdom of God, created to serve God and to join in with what He's doing in the world today. You have aspiration, hopes, and gifts. You have a family that needs you and loves you. All these things make up who we are, not just our job. Number two, take take personal responsibility for work overload if you're feeling it. Because sometimes we feel trapped in our circumstances, but the bottom bottom line is we are living the life that we choose. It's great to blame the boss, blame the company, but basically we've chosen to let this happen. And sometimes we've chosen to let this happen because we have so much consumption and, uh, uh, and accumulation in our lives of simply stuff 
that we have to work to afford. Consumption constrains us. Simplicity frees us. There's that word again. Take responsibility to to simplify. Maybe choose a less demanding role or a less demanding job. Up the ladder is not always better. There's always a hidden cost to going up. We need to seek work and non-work balance. I recognize that, that this, in seasons, there are certain seasons in life when you just need to go for it. But an unexamined life will always drift toward unbalance. And an, in, an imbalanced life does not allow us to be the kind of person God wants us to be. He asks us to come beside quiet waters, to get some green pastures in our life, to develop interests other than work, Areas of ministry for the Lord's glory, areas of pursuit intellectually, involvement in our community and families. Value the time. Always when you're overloaded, overwork, you cheat your families. Overload distracts you from what is really important in life. And the choice is ours to step away from it. At the end of our lives, we all want to be able to look into the eyes of our family and friends and say, I, loved you, I love you, and I know the way I live my life confirms those words. And that's what we're called to. Let me end like this. I don't want to be morbid, but a year from now, we will not all be here. And in the time that God gives us in this year, we need to make the choice to use the year well not running after the things of the, of, the wor- of the world, but rather pursuing the things of God in the way that God has designed us to pursue it. Seek to find the restoration and the quiet waters, the green pastures, and the rest that God brings us. Seek to find that sanctified middle balance, and we will be able to glorify Him well. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, that you know how we are to live because you have designed us You understand us inside and out, and we want to serve you. And we thank you that when we say yes to the kind of life that you have for us, what we find is gladness and joy because you love us. Help us to simply love love you back and to, to live a life that models that, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together as we sing. We encourage you that this year you would simplify and also remember that you are to be satisfied in Christ. He makes us glad. Let's sing this out. I will bless the Lord
As always, after the service, we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. It might be that there's a prayer request that in your life or a situation for which you need prayer, they will wait for you, they will pray with you, and you can lay that burden down here. But first, let's all pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us, you know us, and you have a plan for us. Thank you that you are our refuge and strength. And as we leave this place, we leave seeking to bring you glory. We pray this week ahead, the words we say and the lives that we live will reflect well on you, our Savior, for we love you and we want to glorify your name. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.